This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to a very special episode of The Vine Guy. I'm your host, Scott Greenberg. In this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of welcoming to the podcast, Faisal Bazi, an Australian actor who's had a remarkable path in the industry. His mom is Syrian, his dad's Lebanese, and they immigrated from Beirut to Australia when Faisal was just three years old. He started kindergarten at a young age and had to learn English quickly in order to keep up and fit in. He took to theater at 19 and started his professional acting career in the early 2000s. Now, he's never thought of himself as a, quote, Arab actor, but he ended up being typecast quite a bit early on in his career. To this day, he still receives roles that often typecast him as a terrorist, and he's made it a point to never take these kinds of roles. Good on you, I say. Fazel, welcome to the Vangue podcast. I feel so fortunate that I've interviewed so many wonderful wine celebrities. But I have to say, you are my first celebrity who's into wine. Thank you for being here today. <laughs> Thank you for having it. me, Scott. Thank you for having me. So I definitely want to talk about your career and your life because super interesting. But first, I got to know, how'd you get into wine? Look, the great thing about wine and me is... Uh, it's, it's all linked with acting for me. When I was growing up, you know, kids in their, in their teenagers start drinking. I, I was never a beer person. I didn't like the taste. I, I enjoyed spirits. Uh, and, but then acting and starting to, to work in theatre really led me to wine because at opening nights, I remember my first wine was at, uh, after an opening night and coming out into the foyer and someone offering me this wine. And I'd, I, I knew, obviously knew what wine was, but I'd never had it. And that first time... I maybe had too many glasses, didn't really range, didn't really, you know, the the taste was so delicious. I didn't really kind of gauge myself. I thought, you know, five or six would be a pleasant amount to drink and uh, suffered a headache. But since then, because of theatres and because of uh, acting, I find myself enjoying red wine, especially. Uh, I love getting it as gifts, Scott. If you if you ever want to send me anything, I love I love having um, I love people give, giving me recommendations because I'm not I, I don't really go out and find certain things. I love a Shiraz mainly because it's so easy to drink. But uh, I love people to say, uh, I saw this bottle. I went to this vineyard. Um, I thought you might like it, and they'd send it. And you know, it's my my house is just full of different bottles of wines from people sending them to me from around the world. <laughs> so cool. So I should probably tell our listeners, I did mention that you immigrated to Australia as a young lad, but we're actually doing this podcast interview. You are in Sydney as we speak. Yes. So no surprise that you're a fan of the Shiraz. Yes. I, by the way, I cut my teeth on uh, Shiraz uh, as a young pup and to this day, I still collect it. And oh, amazing. Foundations for you. So I'm just kind of, yeah, and I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Do you have any idea what that wine was that opening night? Do you remember it? Oh, no. I was 19. I'm now 37, <laughs> Scott. It's, it's, there's, I been, know. there's been many a glass since then, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Some, yeah, I know. Some, but, you know, I remember my first girlfriend. So, yeah, I, just, I guess it's a little different. So let's actually talk about this wonderful career you, you've had. You know, you began acting in the theater right out yes. of school, I believe. Tell me about that experience. What were you, what drew you to the theater? I guess, I guess it was as simple as, um, you know, I was 
my career really started professionally in the early 2000s and due to the world events of the time, including like 9-11 and uh, the war in Iraq and things like that, I found that um, screen jobs were coming through that were only really like, you know, third terrorists from the left or, you know, the bad guy and every kind of thing. And the two dimensional characters that I just wasn't really interested in playing. Um, and I, I never wanted to tell those stories or kind of put uh, people that look like me in a box uh, to say, this is all we're capable of doing. And um, fortunately I was afforded opportunities in theater that had a scope of uh, characters and, and different kind of, you know, I, I, I do look at myself as a character actor these days just because I was kind of forced to um, back in, uh, back when I started, uh, I can play anything in theater and a theater audience they go to the, they go to watch you and you tell them you're something, you know, you're the King of France and they just, they just believe it because they paid good money to see something <laughs> and uh, they want to be transported somewhere. While I found screen back then, people just judge you before you even open your mouth. Um, it's changed now. Like things are obviously getting better and, uh, and society's improving and the industry's improving. I was thankful I had theatre back then to, to kind of flex my creative muscle and not have to just uh, rely on stereotypes to kind of, you know, there were curriculars too. You couldn't do uh, many of those jobs uh, in a row without um, never working again then, you know. So, um, so I, I found myself leaning heavily into theatre. Well, you know, that's interesting because I guess in theater, nobody can really paint you into a corner. And a Absolutely. example of that, I don't know if you've seen uh, Hamilton, uh, mm. you know, in, even in the Broadway play Hamilton, it turns out that George Washington is, is black. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, nobody, and nobody questions it. Nobody <laughs> questions it. It is what it is. So I think yeah. theater, it gives you much broader boundaries as opposed to film where listening to you, it's pretty easy to get typecast or yeah. kind of shoved into a column or a lane. Absolutely. And then, and then you, start to, you start to appreciate the good, the, the good roles that are written about, uh, you know, like ethnically specific roles, you know. Uh, so it's, you, you find what's, what's important to play and how to best represent uh, going forward. So out of curiosity, did you have a favorite role in the theater? Is there something you like, wow, I just really loved what I did. Oh, look, there's, there's actually been so many. It's like, I, I, I also love doing Shakespeare. You know, I'm a, it's just the buzz of the audience, Scott, that really gets me. Um, I'm happy to play anything. I'm happy to be transported. Uh, right before COVID started, I was on stage in a play called The Deep Blue Sea and I was playing a, um, a nine, it was set in 1952. I was an RAF fighter pilot who was missing the war. And, you know, is that like, and people, again, just look at it and you open your mouth, you have an English accent, they don't question anything else. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to pick any one, any one performance because it's, um, yeah, it's a, I don't know if you've ever been on stage, but just the buzz of having, you know, a thousand, two thousand people in front of you just transfixed to what you're doing. Um, it, there's nothing like it. Uh, funny you should say that. I was actually on stage for a performance of Hamilton in Washington, D.C. Oh, amazing. Yeah, but it was after the play was over and I was just invited up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and obviously have a glass of wine with the cat. Yeah, yeah. It still counts. I hope, yes. I hope you put it on your, uh, I hope you put it on your IMDb. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Maybe I should. I'll, I'll make sure I do that. So then you, so what came first, theater or film? Theatre for me, definitely. Okay. So how did you roll into film? 
Uh, it started with a few guest spots on TV, then a few guest roles. And then I started um, getting my leading kind of screen roles uh, in like the, the mid 20 teens. They were thankfully for me, stories, although being ethnically, ethnically connected, they were telling, a, telling an important story and, and, and progressing a narrative that I, uh, I wanted to, 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 to push forward. And, you know, but it's just so funny. It's like, I've been in the industry now for a good yeah, 17 or so years. And no matter how long it takes you back then, it was maybe like 12 years into my industry. People start treating you as a newcomer because suddenly your face is everywhere. And they just, uh, <laughs> they just think you're, you're the, you're the newest discovery. And you go, oh, I've been here for a while. I've uh, just been drinking in the corners while um, you've been ignoring me. And now you're paying attention. <laughs> we call that an overnight success. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you did mention ethnic identity in, in the comment. And I'm just kind of curious. You, you've got a fascinating life story. I mean, this is, uh, it almost kind of rolls up into what we're about to talk about. But if you don't mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about your life's story, mom and dad, pull up roots, out of Beirut, you're three years old. Tell me about this experience. Yeah, look, we were um, we were all living in uh, Lebanon, and we basically one day our our building was destroyed during the war, and we lost all our papers and credentials and stuff. So I lost my birth certificate in that. So so my parents decided to move to Australia because I had no birth certificate. They said I was five and put me straight into school when I was three and a half. <laughs> so, uh, dad had to. Dad was a dentist back in Lebanon. Um, so when he came to Australia, uh, his credentials weren't recognised here. So he had to choose whether either to study again to do what he was qualified to do or to get another job. He chose to study. So for the first few years of our lives, we, uh, my mother, my father, my brother and I, we, we shared one room while he studied and we went to school. I couldn't speak English. I spoke Arabic and French at the time. So I had to learn English as we went. My mother was an Arabic and French teacher, so she'd teach us when we get home. But I had to give up French because the letters were the same. And so I'd go to school... <laughs> And oh, people were just no. trying to teach me English and then I'd go home and mum was teaching me French and I'm just like, I have to, I can't do this. I just have to give up French. Um, and slowly, slowly but surely, you know, uh, we, we just progressed as a family. We started to grow. The whole reason I decided to become an actor was I changed school due to racism and bullying uh, when I was in year two and I still hadn't uh, learned how to speak uh, English properly. I could understand it, but I couldn't speak it uh, still. And I had a lovely teacher who, um, who it was her first day as well. And she went, oh, you're Faisal. I've, I've heard about you. Look, I know you can't really communicate by speaking, but anything you want to do, you just show me by mime. And she'd show me how to like write a pen, like use a pen, go to the bathroom. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and she was like, and then we'll slowly learn from there. So I started doing that and started learning English. And then one day she went, you're really good at that, Faisal. You should be an actor. And I'd never thought of doing anything else since that moment. <laughs> oh my gosh, you were so fortunate in this to have this intersection with this person in your life at that point. Absolutely, and it just shows the importance of teachers. Like I don't know what it's like in uh, in America, but here they're very undervalued and um, very underpaid. And you go, teachers can make a difference in someone's life. Um, my, yeah, I know. My mom was a first grade teacher for 35 years. There have been wonderful experiences in my life where people will meet me and say, oh my God, your mom taught me how to read. Oh, that's incredible. And it's just been these great little snippets in my life 
that I'm very thankful to my mom. So your, your mom was a teacher, my mom was a teacher, and so I think that you and I have a very deep appreciation for the value that these people bring in our lives. And, oh, I, and I think it's just wonderful that you had this intersection with this person who cared. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes such a, you know, it just, you look back at what's come after that and you go, I can't believe that um, the, the rest of my life was penned for me because of one person's kindness, you know, and it shows how much, uh, how important kindness is in the world and how it can change everything. Again, I'm just curious, do you, now that you're, you know, obviously famous, do you have like <laughs> ring up your old chums from uh, kindergarten and say, hey, what do you think of me now? <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the beauty of Facebook. Sometimes you won't hear of, like from anyone for like 20, 30 years. And then you get the odd kind of like, Oh my God, do you remember this day when you like, you know, <laughs> and you go, Oh yes, I do remember you briefly. Um, yes. Unfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting that you you're telling the story about the upheaval that you and your family experienced in Lebanon because I think it's because I find it very tied into your latest project. Yeah. You're in a Netflix series, an original series, I should say, called Stateless. And I had the privilege of watching the first episode. And oh my God. First of all, it's brilliant. You're brilliant. It's very intense. And the story that you're telling seems to parallel very closely to this story that's being told in Stateless. It's not your story, obviously. No, no. It is, I, I understand, based on a true story. Yes, yeah. So, uh, so the character I play in Stateless uh, is Amir. He's um, an Afghan man who is trying to flee. Uh, it, it's set in the early 2000s with the Taliban coming into Afghanistan, and he's trying to flee Afghanistan with his family and make it to Australia safely by... Uh, by using boat, which is, you know, it's, it's a very dangerous way to travel. Um, so we, we find his family in Indonesia trying to find a people smuggler to, to get them to Australia. And look, yeah, like my, my family and I weren't refugees. We immigrated, but the story and the connection of Amir, um, I put a lot of my dad in Amir because if you strip away all of the racial um, connotations and what you have here is a, is a man who's looking for the best for his family. He's trying to find a safe place for his family and his daughters to, to grow up and live. And I'm hoping that with that, people are able to, to put a human face on the, the refugee crisis at the moment because it's easy to get lost in a lot of the, um, the spin, the political spin and the st statistics. But if people can just actually realise that we're talking about human beings here that are just trying to find a safe way for their families to live and grow, you know, it might be easier to connect and show a bit of compassion. Yeah. I mean, like we have, there was a study released last week here in Australia about the, um, the psychological damage that people are facing uh, when they're going to quarantine for two weeks, <laughs> being not able to go out and uh, not able to, to, to connect with people. And then you go, there's a study about that for people uh, for two weeks. 
when some of these refugees, especially in our detention centres, have been there seven, eight, nine, ten years waiting for oh the uproar and having to quarantine for two weeks comes, you know, first and foremost in people's minds and you go, look what you're talking about. Look at these poor people. Uh, yeah, so I, I guess uh, I really connected with Amir's story because of my history and, uh, yeah, I, I, just, I just really wanted to share the humanity, the human side of, of that story. But you did a absolutely brilliant job humanizing your character. And even though it was just the first episode I saw, and I think the series premiere is July 8th, if I'm... Yes, that's correct. So very excited about this because then I get to actually see the rest of the... But you've done a brilliant job of humanizing your character and really bringing a face to immigrants, and particularly these refugees. And it's, uh, without giving away too much, I don't want to give away too much, but it's very fascinating how it seems like there's three or four different stories that are going to get interwoven yes. over the course of the series. And I'm uh, uh, looking forward to seeing how that all plays out. You just feel the humanity in your character during your ordeal. So, oh, thank you, Scott. Yeah, no, it was brilliant. Well done. What was it like? Where was, by the way, where was the shot? Where was the... We, we, sh we, we shot it in uh, Adelaide and Port Augusta. So Port Augusta is um, a town, it's, a, it's about three and a half hours out of Adelaide. And it's about um, one, where we shot it, where they built the detention center from the ground up. And it was modeled wow. on the actual detention center, which was like a kilometer down the road. We were fortunate enough to have a lot of our background artists had at one stage been in detention centers or refugee camps around the world. And some of them had been up the road at um, the, the detention center that it was modeled on and just walked in and felt just this, a wave of, of emotion because it was like they were going back to their prison, seeing that and hearing their, their stories about what they experienced getting there and also living there for so many years. Um, it just kind of highlighted how important it was to tell this story. So I should probably also mention that one of your co-stars is Kate Blanchett. That's, yeah. Fairly, fairly well known. Uh, yeah. She's starting of, out. I think she's got a bright future. She's, yeah, right? She's another overnight success. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, she was fantastic. And I'm just kind of, you know, again, curious. What was it like working with her? She's wonderful. I, I, I had mainly my main kind of... Um, connection with her during this time was as a producer because she's part of uh, Yvonne Starovsky's story arc but she was very wonderful uh, I hung out with her in London a bit we went over there to kind of sell the show uh, at the end of last year and we've we've had some um, she used to run a Sydney theatre company down in Australia uh, so we established our friendship through that initially a few years ago and um, she's just incredible I mean you can just sit here. We could spend the whole podcast just listing her list of credits and the impact she's had on, um, on cinema and TV around the world. Um, she's just a, an incredible, um, inspiring human. That's great. You know, her, again, her role in this, pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, you know, so wasn't uh, expecting the story arc to go that way, but at least... But how good ever had track suits, though? Come on. Right? I mean. Brilliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, as intense as this was and as deep as the subject matter is, I'm sure you guys had some fun on the set. Do you have any uh, interesting stories or anything? Kind Incidentally, of Scott, we had, um, we had a wine club at the end of days. So we'd finish uh, where we were staying. It was uh, myself, Jai Courtney, Rachel House, uh, Rose Riley, Dan Spielman, Kate Box, 
And uh, Yvonne came a couple of times as well. And it was just because the subject matter was so heavy, you'd finish a day and you just go, wine club, wine club, and someone would pick their rooms and whoever's room it was, uh, whoever's coming brings a bottle, um, you know. So it was a nice little ritual we had, you know, that we needed because of the subject matter. And you just kind of debrief about what happened that day, what you saw, the stories we're telling, what's happening the next day. And yeah, it was just, a, it was a lovely part. It was probably, if I didn't have wine club with all those lovely humans afterwards, I, I think it would be a harder show to to have to like do every single day for the two months, three months we were doing it. Basil, this is what I absolutely love about wine. It is that one beverage that connects us. Yes. Whether, whether it's just getting together after a tough day uh, at the office, as you just mentioned, or dinner out with friends or celebrations. I can't think of really any other beverage where you connect people with a time and a place and an emotion the way wine does. And I'm just, again, curious, did you, was there any particular wine that stood out in your wine club? I know, I know, you had a lot, but... No, no, but I'd never, I'd never, um, Rachel House, whenever it was her turn, she was big on getting like organic wines. So I, I, I had never, I don't think up until that stage had like organic kind of vegan-y wine um, before. And I liked it. I liked it, you know, and better for the headaches afterwards because there's limited preservatives. Um, I always, I always seem to lean towards Spanish wines because of, because of their lack of preservatives, especially if we're working just to kind of limit the, the headaches and the hangover. <laughs> it doesn't, uh, it doesn't hurt. I will say that uh, up until recently, you know, I've been doing this quite a while and I thought I knew a lot about wine, but a couple of years ago we were out to dinner and one of my dinner guests said, is this a vegan wine? And ah. I snorted a little bit and went, of course, all wine's vegan. Uh, I was quickly corrected and said, ah, but some wines are actually filtered using egg whites. And yes. I, you know what? You're, you're right. And even though probably 99.9% of the egg white protein falls out of the wine, it is a philosophical no-no for a vegan and I just, yeah. it was interesting because up until that moment, I always thought all wine was, of course, vegan. And it was interesting to be taken to task. <laughs> hey, we're never, never too old to learn. Never too old to learn, my friend. <laughs> That's right. So what's next? You've wrapped up this wonderful, again, Stateless on Netflix, premiering July 8th. How many episodes in Stateless? Uh, six episodes. Six episodes. Okay. Can't recommend it enough. Even just... Watching the first episode, I can't wait for this to come out so I can watch the rest of the series. What's next on your agenda? I know we've got a little thing called the pandemic going on. Yeah, uh, well, there's a, there's a couple of things in Australia that might uh, start shooting under some strict protocols, just waiting to see what happens there. Um, I have a movie that was meant to come out in May, uh, which now has been pushed to September, I think, and it has a North American release too. It's called Measure for Measure, which is a, uh, a modern take on Shakespeare's Measure for Measure. And it pits uh, myself and Hugo Weaving against each other as rival gang lords. And my sister falls in love with his ward and it kind of becomes a Romeo and Juliet-y thing set in Melbourne, set in the streets of Melbourne. So hopefully that comes out in September and cinemas can reopen. And from there, we just kind of, we have to, we have to play it by ear and see how the industry bounces back from this pandemic. Right. 
You know, and it's interesting because we think of so many different industries that have been affected by this pandemic. And you, of course, think about the hospitality industry, of course. Uh, it never really occurred to me until recently uh, that the entertainment industry has really been hit hard by this as well because you can't social distance during acting or particularly a love scene. <laughs> Absolutely. And the, if like the ways around it at the moment that people are talking about is complete isolation with cast and crew, like while you're on set and you never kind of leave each other's sides if you want to, if you want to go around that path. But the problems that that brings up is then it becomes really expensive for producers and productions to, cause you have to have hotels for everyone all the time. Um, you know, so financially, that's not really a viable option. So, you know, what do you do? You just have to play it by ear. Yeah. Get your take on this. Is this the new normal? This has been the strangest year. Like I, I was away for the end of last year and um, I was in Japan and then went to London for a stretch, then came home to do a play. When I came home, we were suffering bushfires. So we all had to wear masks because uh, the air was red. And then it's like you quickly forget about that. Things went normal for about two weeks and then the pandemic hit and we were locked in. And slowly we've been coming out of that now. I don't know what normal is anymore, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like things are changing so rapidly that um, it might be the new normal for about a year and then like things will bounce back. But I guess we're in the hands of scientists and how clever they can be with uh, finding a cure or, you know, a vaccine or something. And, you know, so who knows? Life's changing so quickly at the moment. Well, you know what it sounds like to me, Faisal? It sounds like you and I need a glass of wine. <laughs> I like that. That's, good. that's, a, good, that's a good idea. <laughs> so it's now that, that wonderful time in the podcast where... So you have a few bottles of wine. I know it's 10 a.m. where you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But do me a favor. Pick a bottle out that you're really interested in talking about, and uh, let's go for it. Okay. I'm going to go to this Beyond Broke Road, Margaret River Cab Sav. Ooh. Um, yeah, it's uh, my, my brother had gotten it for his wedding uh, many, many years ago. And for my birthday last year, he still had a, a case of it. And he goes, do you want this? And I'm like, yes. Okay. So I've yes, been slowly, <laughs> slowly going through them. And this is the last one. Oh, wow. I feel honored. What year is the, uh, what's the vintage? Uh, it's 2007. Brew. Well, let's, let's crack it up. <laughs> and this is from the Margaret River. Yes. Right. So now, not mistaken, if I'm recalling my wine regions of Australia correctly, Margaret River, little cooler area than some of the other areas of Australia, making beautifully structured wines. Yes. More what I, I would say structured fruit, you know, as opposed to the Shiraz, which again, love Shiraz. But, you know, Shiraz is that kind of wine you drink when you really feel like you need to waken up your, your mouth. Now you have to excuse me, I'm using a mug because the... Uh the, okay. the, the glasses are uh, the glasses are uh, up over there. But our, our listeners can't see this, but I want to see this. Please, chug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a classic uh, Rick and Morty mug. Um. <laughs> and I am so fortunate that I have children who actually educated me on Rick and Morty. <laughs> but you know what? It still holds wine. It's absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, any any port in a storm. What are you? Uh, what are you? What are you going to have a drink of, Scott? Well, I actually have, in your honor, I have the 
two hands, gnarly dudes. Oh, yes. Because I actually do need my mouth awake. It's, uh, you know, almost 7 o'clock here. So I <laughs> this up. It's a 2018 uh, Shiraz from Barossa Valley. Lovely. Michael 12.3, who's uh, the winemaker here, uh, I actually had the pleasure of having him over to my home for dinner one night. So I have been a fan of his wines ever since. And wow, that is like pouring ink into <laughs> glass. And unfortunately for you, I actually do have a wine glass. So. Oh, no, that's good. It's good. Well, well, I could say, I could say that you don't and no one will know. Like, I can't believe you're using a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's a glass slipper. So it- <laughs> <laughs> cheers, my well, friend. Cheers, my friend. Across the pond. All right. That's, that's amazing. So I'll go first, if you don't mind, because... Please. Wow. Super dark, inky, beautiful aromas of this just black currant and cassis and blackberry. And then in the mouth, it sort of gets repeated again with that big pop of blackberry and dark plum. And it's just rich and textured. But what I love about this wine is there's just this kind of melted licorice going on on the finish. It's just stunning and it just keeps going and going and going and then just finishes with a little touch of black pepper. I got to tell you, I'm uh, as soon as we wrap this up, I've got to go find a lamb chop. <laughs> it's, it's well, a, look, Scott, I can't, uh, I can't describe my feeling um, as, uh, as eloquently as you, but it was, it was full bodied. Um, it was, it was, a, there was a rich uh, purple, a kind of a kick to it that you can kind of the, the fruitiness just kicks back at the the back of the throat but the thing that's most important to me is it reminds me of my brother and his wife and um oh. you know so it's uh, it's the emotional kind of pull uh <laughs> on this end that's exactly what we were talking about though that's my yeah made my point wine is that beverage that ties you to a person, place, or an event in your life. And you know, this wine, for me, brings me right back to the night that Michael 12 came over for dinner. Having an Australian winemaker in your house is a bit... <laughs> <laughs> intimidating? It's a bit intimidating and fun and rocks. Uh, as the night goes on and you end up drinking a little bit more, it definitely becomes a lot more entertaining. <laughs> and speaking of entertaining, Faisal, I want to thank you so much for joining me on today's Vine Guy podcast. You have been an absolute delight. And I wish you all the success with Stateless on Netflix, premiering July 8th. Don't miss it in all of your future endeavors. Thank you so much, Scott. It was an absolute pleasure. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. This episode was produced by Sarah Beth Hensley. The music you heard is Wishful Thinking by Dan Leibowitz, available in the YouTube audio library. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and catch my Wine of the Week shows on WTOP and WTOP.com. And until the next time, remember, do good, drink well.